singing our song, in telling our story, in inviting you to say, hey, listen to me and I'll listen to you, we're starting a dialogue. And when you do that, this healing happens and we come out of our corners and we start to witness each other's common humanity. If you want to help your community, if you want to help your family, if you want to help your friends, you have to express yourself. Those are words from Ethan Hawke's TED Talk, Give Yourself Permission to Be Creative, and seemed a wonderful way to start our time together today, whose theme is stories. May our time together be the cup which holds and shelters all that the world has been to us in dark times and in light. May our not-so-flickering flame carry the energy of our many stories, tales of the past, spoken and unspoken, bold visions of the future, cried out for and fought for, hazy phantasms we hardly dare to hope for, whispered softly in the deepest crevices of our hearts. May ours be a faith for the shadows and the sunshine. May we take inspiration from stories of what has been, and may what we are willing and able to share of our stories help to fan the flames of love and justice. Amen. So welcome. Welcome again to another first. Today is the first day which follows the standard weekday pattern of morning worship, engagement group, and afternoon and evening optional activities. So I can't think of another first after this, but I may have missed one. We'll see. In the meantime, are you sitting comfortably? Because of course we have to begin with some kind of a story. And this is a very, very old story, albeit in a slightly newer telling. When the earth was newborn, it was plain, without any features or life. There were no rivers, no mountains, no trees and grasses, only flat red earth as far as the eye could see, except that there were no eyes for seeing. Waking time and sleeping time were the same. There were only hollows on the surface of the earth which one day would become waterholes, and around the waterholes were the ingredients of life. Underneath the crust of the earth were the stars and the sky, the sun and the moon, as well as all the forms of life, all sleeping. All the tiniest details of life were present, but not yet awake or alive. The head feathers of a cockatoo, the thump of a kangaroo's tail, the gleam of an insect's wing, the rustle of eucalyptus leaves in the wind. So I think you might be able to guess whose story we're telling. A time came when time itself split apart and sleeping time 
separated from waking time. This moment was called the dream time. And at this moment, everything started to burst into life. The sun rose through the surface of the earth and shone its warm rays onto the hollows. It melted ice, which became water holes, and underneath each one lay an ancestor, an ancient man or woman who had been asleep through the ages. The sun filled the body of each ancestor with light and life, and they began to give birth to children. Their children were all the living things of the world, from the tiniest grub wriggling on a leaf to the broadest winged eagle soaring in the blue sky. Rising up from the water holes, the ancestors stood with mud falling from their bodies. As the mud slipped away, the sun opened their eyelids. They saw the creatures they had made from their own bodies, and they gazed at their creation, as you no doubt would, in pride and wonderment. Each ancestor sang out with joy, I am! One ancestor sang, I am kangaroo. Another sang, I am cockatoo. The next sang, I am honey ant. And the one lying basking in the sun said, I am lizard. As they sang, naming their own creations, they began to walk. Their footsteps and their music became one calling all living things into being and weaving them into life with song. The ancestors sang their way all around the world. They sang the rivers to the valleys and the sand into dunes, the trees into leaf and the mountains to rise above the plain. And as they walked, they left a trail of music. Then they were exhausted they had shown all the living things how to live, and so they returned to the earth itself to sleep. We don't see them now, but they are still present in every sacred place, and their music still hums through the world. And it's in honour of their ancestors that the Aboriginal people still go walk about, retracing the steps and singing the songs, connecting their waking time to the dream time. I don't know if you feel it, but I very much feel we are in a sacred place and music still hums through the world. And that seems as good a reason as any to sing our first hymn, number 51 in the Purple Book, God of Grace and God of Laughter. Stand if you're comfortable doing so, otherwise stay seated. And I think before the children go out and Claire goes with them, we should give Claire a little bit of a round of applause for her singing, don't you? <laughs>
let us settle ourselves now for a short time of quieter and more reflective words, words, if you like, of prayer. Eternal Spirit, weaver of stories, <coughs> shaper of the mystery that is our universe, may we always be alive to the song of life and love at the heart of all things. May we open our hearts and minds to the endless possibilities for good in the stories we tell and the stories we live. May we feel our sacred connection with the mountains and the hills and the valleys, the plants that grow and nourish us, and the creatures that walk and fly and swim alongside us. Let us pause for a moment to feel gratitude for the many threads that have intersected so that we can be here in this time and at this place, sharing our stories. Let us hold in our thoughts all the people who have contributed to our stories in ways that have helped, held and healed us. Let us also give a moment's thought to the monsters in our stories, those who have cast shadows of injustice, those who have oppressed or wounded us or our loved ones. May we forgive where forgiveness is possible and where it is not, may the shadows of our memories not obscure the light of hope for better days to come. We are all made of stories, spoken and unspoken, remembered and forgotten. And our many stories connect and intersect in ways that cannot always be understood within the tapestry. May we live so that, regardless of the stories told about us by those who do not yet understand us, we can rest contented that we have given something to the greater story of love and justice. Even if, at times, it may feel that our own contributions are nothing more than tiny notes in the margins of history. May we trust that our words and actions will play their part in illuminating the path of those to come, so that the world will be alight with stories of love and songs of joy. Amen.
I'm now going to invite Louise to come and read the first reading that she chose for us. The Danger of a Single Story by Chimamanda Adichie. Um, she gave this as a TED Talk, so you can re-watch it. And this is a bridge, so if you watch the TED Talk, you'll get much more detail. I'm a storyteller, and I would like to tell you a few personal stories about what I like to call the danger of the single story. I came from a conventional middle-class Nigerian family. My father was a professor, my mother was an administrator, and so we had, as was the norm, live-in domestic help, who would often come from nearby rural villages. So the year I turned eight, we got a new houseboy. His name was Fide. The only thing my mother told us about him was that his family was very poor. My mother sent yams and rice and our old clothes to his family. And when I didn't finish my dinner, my mother would say, finish your food. Don't you know, people like Fide's family have nothing. So I felt enormous pity for Fide's family. Then one Saturday, we went to his village to visit and his mother showed us a beautifully patterned basket made of dried raff dyed raffia that his brother had made. I was startled. It had not occurred to me that anybody in his family could actually make something. All I had heard about them is how poor they were, so that it had become impossible for me to see them as anything else but poor. Their poverty was my single story of them. Years later, I thought about this when I left Nigeria to go to university in the United States. I was 19. My American roommate was shocked by me. She asked where I had learned to speak English so well and was confused <laughs> when I said that Nigeria happened to have English as its official language. She asked if she could listen to what she called my tribal music <laughs> and was consequently very disappointed when I produced my tape of Mariah Carey. <laughs> she assumed that I did not know how to use a stove. What struck me was this. She had felt sorry for me even before she saw me. Her default position toward me as an African was a kind of patronising, well-meaning pity. My roommate had a single story of Africa, a single story of catastrophe. In this single story, there was no possibility of Africans being similar to her in any way. No possibility of feelings more complex than pity. No possibility of a connection as a human equals. Of course, Africa is a continent full of catastrophes. There are immense ones, such as the horrific rapes in Congo, and depressing ones, such as the fact that 5,000 people apply for one job vacancy in Nigeria. But there are other stories that are not about catastrophe, and it is very important, it is just as important to talk about them. I've always felt that it's impossible to engage properly with a place or person without engaging with all of the stories of that place and that person. The consequence of the single story is this. It robs people of dignity. It makes our recognition of our equal humanity difficult. It emphasises how we are different rather than how we are similar.
Many stories matter. Stories have been used to dispossess and to malign, but stories can also be used to empower and to humanise. Stories can break the dignity of a people, but stories can also repair that broken dignity. The American writer Alice Walker wrote this about her southern relatives who had moved to the north. She introduced them to a book about the southern life that they had left behind. She says, they sat around reading the book themselves, listening to me read the book, and a kind of paradise was regained. I would like to end with this thought, that when we reject the single story, when we realise that there is never a single story about any place, we regain a kind of paradise. Thank you, Louise, for that beautiful choice and that beautiful reading of it. Our second, shorter reading is by Toni Morrison from her Nobel Lecture in Literature, 1993. Is there no context for our lives? No song, no literature, no poem full of vitamins, no history connected to experience that you can pass along to help us start strong. You are an adult, the old one, the wise one. Stop thinking about saving your face. Think of our lives and tell us your particularised world. Make up a story. Narrative is radical, creating us at the very moment it is being created. We will not blame you if your reach exceeds your grasp. If love so ignites your words, they go down in flames and nothing is left but the schooled. Or if, with the reticence of a surgeon's hands, your words suture only the places where blood might flow, we know you can never do it properly, once and for all. Passion is never enough, neither is skill, but try for our sake and yours. Forget your name in the street. Tell us what the world has been to you in the dark places and in the light. Don't tell us what to believe, what to fear. Show us belief's wide skirt and the stitch that unravels fear's call. You, old woman blessed with blindness, can speak the language that tells us what only language can how to see without pictures. Language alone protects us from the scariness of things with no names. Language alone is meditation. Words of Toni Morrison. Well, I think there's a lot of truth in that, but I'm not sure I fully believe that language alone is meditation because music is also meditation. But now we have a moment to enjoy both words and music as we sing our next hymn, which is a new one which you will find in your order of service to, I hope, a familiar tune to most. Thank you, Nick. <laughs>
for being in good voice today and thank you to our impromptu race section over there. Enjoyed that. That was lovely. It's time to hear again from Louise with today's theme talk. Thank you, Louise. Good morning, good morning. Today, on our journey of considering real life, telling the truth of our lived experience, I want to look at stories. I feel that's not a surprise at this point. <laughs> True stories, obviously, but still stories. How we tell them, what we might be leaving out, and the truly life-changing benefits we see from telling them and being heard. As befits a talk on the theme, telling the truth of our lived experience, I feel that I should start by being completely truthful with you. I'm nervous. <laughs> I enjoy speaking in public. I enjoy thinking and writing. I felt drawn to this theme, maybe because I have some things to work out about it myself but I feel a real anxiety that all of you, and we mustn't forget those of, those of our uh, group who are joining online as well. Hello to you guys. Um, all of you have so much life experience, so much experience in writing and delivering talks. We have esteemed ministers among us, retired ministers. Above all, all of you will have lived experience that is different from mine that needs to be heard, that probably deserves to be heard more than mine. As I mentioned yesterday, these talks are not just the words that I'm speaking, which are mainly printed on this paper here. <laughs> Hopefully this is just the start. How my words land with you, your responses and thoughts, your conversations, both informal within your engagement groups and at the conversations on the theme talk sessions later this afternoon, which are going to be hosted by Angela. Thank you so much, Angela. And the way that we spend time in community this week and afterwards is all part of the whole, the whole of everything. I feel like I don't want to be up here telling you guys, you're all part of it. We're all creating, hopefully, something bigger, something really special that will be much greater and richer than merely what I am presenting to you here every day. We won't be able to write it down, we won't be able to capture it in pictures, but that doesn't mean it's not real. I wanted to speak today about the stories of our lives. Our lives, and indeed our, our identities, are the product of all our lived experiences. But where to start? What to include? We're looking at my own life. I could tell you about my family. If I was to do that right from the start, it would be quite a long story. I could speak about my education, my work history. I could do you a CV. <laughs> I could speak about my ups and downs in mental health. I could tell you about the geography of my life, places that I have lived and traveled to. There are my hobbies, my spiritual journey, my friendships and so on. Or just, just snippets, the pleasure I get from hanging washing outside to dry. 
the frustration I feel when my foster son picks at his eczema. <laughs> the anger and despair I feel about political decisions and ineptitude that cause so much suffering in this country and around the world. And the struggle with maintaining emotional equilibrium while living with three teenage boys is real. <laughs> A huge part of my current story is that much of my work and family life since around 2016-17 has been with refugees. We became foster carers in 2017 in response to the refugee crisis of 2016 and have been welcoming unaccompanied asylum-seeking children into the family since then. Our youngest son, now adopted, came to us first as an unaccompanied asylum-seeker more than four years ago. And I know I have already bent many of your ears about how proud I am of him. So honestly, do come and ask, because I love to tell you. I'll tell you multiple times, honestly. Um, in 2018, I started my master's in refugee care. I learned so much that was useful and relevant for working ref with refugees, but I, or much also that contributed a really useful perspective to any human interactions, circumstances or systems. So please bear in mind, where I may give examples from the refugee experience, these apply to any human interactions or situations. And on a personal note, I decided to take on the task of these theme talks when I only had one foster boy in placement and was slightly at a loose end. <laughs> then, you can see what's coming now, a new boy arrived on the 12th of June <laughs> with no formal education set up until September. The life of a foster carer is reliably unreliable. Unpredictable, unreliable, <laughs> unpredictable. And in that shortage of time and headspace, I'm also suffering from a serious case of imposter syndrome. So bear with me. In our reading, Ngozi Adichie Chimamanda pointed out the dangers of a single story and gave us several examples. Yesterday, if you were in chapel, you might remember that I recalled my difficulties during the pandemic. I was non-specific for obvious reasons, but I tried to express to you how it had been for my, me and my family, and it wasn't good. I said yesterday, because I don't expect you to remember, <laughs> March 2020 onwards brought horribly stressful family issues, some of which have had long-term effects on myself and others close to me. People all over the world, and here in this room of course, will have experienced illness, bereavement, poverty, loneliness, mental health issues and other dark times, which may be continuing to affect life today. By complete coincidence, soon after I wrote that, this appeared on my Facebook timeline. A few years ago, if someone had told you there would be a life-threatening virus hitting the entire world, highlighting the vulnerabilities and inequalities in our healthcare, economic and social systems, how do you think you would have responded? Beyond disbelief, you probably would also have thought you wouldn't be able to cope, right? But you did. Whilst it's crucial we recognise the challenges and difficulties brought on by this crisis, it's equally important to acknowledge our inner strength. So why not take a moment now to reflect on your resilience and growth? This is still the quote from Facebook. It continues, many of us develop new skills, routines and coping strategies. 
Others re-evaluated their priorities and lifestyles, leading to an increased focus on mental health, self-care and personal values. And as a collective, we now have a greater understanding of the importance of social connections, a sense of community with more empathy and compassion. And it continues, whatever we took from the experience, it is a reminder of the power of our ability to grow and thrive. And we should lean into that, especially in times of adversity. I don't have the author, I'm sorry, but it was a World Wellbeing Week communication. So these two stories, these two stories, the one I just read just now, the quite long one, and the short one I told yesterday, they're about the same events. They don't contradict each other. They can both be true and they are both true. However, even though I have reflected a lot about this difficult time, even though I know the story of resilience to be true, I told you the other story. That was the narrative that I unconsciously chose. And reading this story of resilience was generally, genuinely, again, an aha moment, even though it really wasn't news to me. Some of you may find the tone of the second story uncomfortably positive. It's perfectly okay to feel that way. It's very tricky when something seems to be telling us how to feel and what we should do or what we should have done. A good reminder for, to us to try not to do the same in our interactions with people. So what can we take from this? Well, we can see that even telling our own stories, we can tend to tell a thin, stereotyped story that diminishes us, rather than a thicker, fuller story of resistance. And because our stories feed into our identity, this can diminish our whole sense of ourselves. On the other hand, we may come into contact with people who tell grandiose stories of themselves. These may sound like rich stories, but I'm thinking that they are probably thin stories laid on top of other thin stories to hide a lack of confidence. But no one likes being in conversation with someone who is being inauthentic. I hope that anyone who feels the need to inflate their own importance can, in a place of safety and acceptance, come to a more genuine identity. Tomorrow, I don't want to intimidate you, but tomorrow I'm going to talk to you about the work of Dubois and Foucault. Is that the correct pronunciation? Thank you. I was, I was intending to ask that before, but you're all here, so... <laughs> okay. I, I'm going to tell you about the work of Dubois and Foucault on domin dominant and subjugated knowledge. Out of this work came the school of thought which became narrative therapy. One major pillar of this approach to therapy is that storytelling can be used to empower people. One writer on narrative therapy explains, it really is about celebrating and appreciating each person's unique story and helping them frame it in a way that is more self-affirming and less self-defeating. In narrative therapy, the story is not provided by the listener, but space is made for it and it is allowed to be complex and unique. It is not judged. 
one of the basic assumptions is that people can become the primary authors of the stories of their own lives and find an identity that reflects their knowledge, their inner resources and skills so that any problems can be addressed. Now, I want to tell you another story. It's about a place far, far away, but not a long time ago. <laughs> Christmas Island is an Australian territory, a small tropical island which lies south of Java, about 2,000 kilometres from the Australian mainland. It is one of the islands on which Australia has put an offshore, offshore immigration detention centre. The others are in Nauru and Manus. These centres hold people who have tried to reach Australia and claim asylum, mainly irregular maritime arrivals. They have been told that resettlement in Australia is not an option for them and they are held for an indefinite period. Um, this is the inspiration for the current government, I believe. So, yeah. No, the previous government. <laughs> the previous government. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Who would be inspired by that? I'm not sure. Anyway, there are many tragic stories of those who have been held isolated with no hope. Some moved around these offshore and onshore detention facilities for years. Predictably, the Christmas Island detainees suffer a range of mental health issues. Many of them endured torture and appallingly difficult um, <coughs> events in their own countries and very tough journeys as they fled. And now they are detained with no freedom to exercise any control over their own lives. A therapist called Pauline Lee was employed to provide mental health support. She wrote an academic paper about the experience and was also the subject of an award-winning documentary, Island of the Hungry Ghosts. I'm showing the film here at Hucklow on Tuesday evening. Or if you are joining from home, you can watch it on Amazon Prime for £3.49. <laughs> I share this story because it illustrates the importance of having someone who can really hear your story. The detainees have no power to change their situation. Polin also has no power to change their situation. All she can do is spend time with them, sometimes just even for one session, as they are often moved unexpectedly. There is nothing she can do for them materially except hear their stories. Trained in narrative therapy, as Pauline Lee is, her focus is on enabling her clients to tell the, the thickest, the richest stories of themselves that they can. Not a thin story of torture, suffering and despair, which is undoubtedly true, but to support them to find more, to find their resilience, the acts of resistance, their values, their very identity. She enables Mohammed to find his memories of the countryside of his childhood. She meets Dariush, who describes himself as a bad man. She invites him to tell her the story of his life before he left Iran, a dynamic, community-minded entrepreneur to help him reconnect with the identity that is capable and caring. When Ali shares his story that everyone in his life disappears, they agree to say goodbye every session, just in case it is the last. 
This is the principle of making now precious. Also the title of her account of her work there. <laughs> we are, of course, not acting in therapists as therapists in our encounters, nor would we want to be. But we can learn from narrative therapy how important it is to hear the stories, all the stories of others, without judgment. And, if we can, help our friends to tell more of their stories, to realise how strong and amazing they are. And furthermore, Lee's Making Now Precious leads me back to Booba's work. Making Now Precious is such a beautiful intention to have in our interactions. Booba writes, a human being becomes whole, not in virtue of a relation to himself only, or herself only, apologies for that, or themselves only, but rather in virtue of an authentic relation to another human being. Let me say that again. A human being becomes whole, not in virtue of a relation to themselves only, but rather in virtue of an authentic relation to another human being. Sharing the stories of our real experiences puts us in an authentic relation with another human being. And therefore, it is in that relationship that there is the possibility for us to move towards wholeness. I would like to finish with some words by Mia Kuto. Listen, and you will realise that we are made not from cells or from atoms. We are made from stories. There is an invitation now for prayerful reflection on what today's discussion of the stories of our lives may have brought up for you. You are invited, if you wish, to write down something on a post-it note that is in the shape of a leaf. Um, we have extra post-it notes. You should have a pen and a post-it note. Great. Okay. Okay, lovely. Thank you, Stephanie, my beautiful assistant. Absolutely. Yes, I think. Just wait. Just wait. Yes. Okay, so the invitation now is if you wish to write down something that you would like to be included in our closing prayer. It might be that you want to give thanks for something that has come to mind while I've been speaking, or an insight that has come to you, or name a person or a situation that is in your thoughts so that we can hold them in loving kindness. There are a lot of us here, so don't feel you have to, and if we do get a lot of contributions, we may not be able to include all of them in the prayer, but we will post them up on the wall for us all to look at later. So Nick is going to play something 
lovely and meditative, I think. And if we just like to sit in silence and just, you don't have to write if you want to just sit, that's also absolutely fine. And there is a bowl here. If you would like to put your, put your prayerful thoughts in the bowl when you're done. Thank you very much. I'll have just a few more moments of silence if you are completing your reflections, if you're completing writing, if you have anything you want to bring to our little collection of leaves and thoughts and prayers. And there are indeed many, so we will hear just 
a selection of those in our closing prayers. May the words, music and silence we have shared continue to resonate in our hearts and minds in this final time of reflection together this morning. We all arrived, those of us in the room and those of us online, and no doubt those listening later too, with many thoughts, wishes, dreams, hopes and fears. And no doubt today's worship, and especially Louise's thought-provoking words, have stirred more some of these have shaken loose and found their way onto these post-it notes. Others are still forming and may need time and space to nurture. This week we will have an abundance of inspiration and some time and space away from our everyday lives. So this is not a stopping place, but simply a pause on the journey. A moment to gather what has formed so far and share and celebrate what we bring here and what we find here at this moment. So let us remember that all our stories are worthy of being heard. Stories of travel and stories of staying. Stories of adoption, like someone we heard earlier. Let's bless all of those who have added to our stories. And if those of us here in the room can just take a moment to think of those at home too and maybe send a little wave or a heartfelt good wish to you. Thank you for being with us in not quite the same way, but with us. And a huge thank you to Lizzie for being a linchpin of the connection between and to Nicola who is blessing us with her abilities and technology to make all this work. <laughs> we pray for everyone to find their voice and for their voices to be listened to and heard. For we are everything and everything is us. We are grateful to be reminded of the richness and texture of our lives, the many layers of stories that are woven together to make the whole. So let us open our compassionate hearts 
for all in the world, especially those without a safe place to call home. And may they be helped by us all. May we remember all the people lost at sea and along difficult journeys to a safety that never comes. And we also remember those looking for them, those still hoping, and those who have lost hope. And we hold on to our hopes that our government may not follow Australia in this way, in the treatment of refugees. We pray to share our space and resources with refugees and to welcome the stranger in every way possible. May all those who seek shelter find it and be welcomed as fellow human beings with stories to tell. Stories that may help us to enjoy our lives and to bring resilience, richness and resonance. Above all, stories that are real. And we remember the words of Anthony de Mello, the shortest distance between a human being and the truth is a story. So as our time of reflection comes to an end and we prepare to sing our final hymn together this morning, let's hold for a moment in our hearts and minds all that we need for ourselves and offer back to the universe that which we are ready to release. Completing this time of prayer in the way that feels most meaningful. Blessed be, Namaste, and Amen. Our final hymn is number 208 in the Purple Book, When Our Heart is in a Holy Place. And before we start singing, I should just explain that our closing words today were actually written by somebody here in the room, not me. They were written by Lizzie Kingston Harrison, and so I've invited her to come and read our closing words after the final hymn. And when the closing words finish, please don't run off because we will have a little tiny opportunity to sing together in celebration, and you will know, I will explain when the time comes, what we're going to do, and then Nick has some beautiful closing music for us. But first, our final hymn and Lizzie's closing words. When our heart is in a holy place. <coughs> Thank you. 
today, we give thanks for the many stories of our lives and for all those who hold us gently while we tell them. We leave grateful for the listeners, for those who sit quietly and give us the gift of a version of ourselves born in a moment of tender grace. And we leave grateful for the storytellers who with courage and love give us the gift of their true selves. We leave grateful indeed and we leave also celebrating many things, many stories and not least celebrating a birthday in our midst today. So that's why you're going to need to sing it again. I hope people know the words and it's Paul's birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 